Hello and welcome to the 23rd episode of the Tough Take Podcast. I'm Luca DeLosta. And I'm Zach Green. In today's episode, we will be recapping the Chiefs vs. Bengals great matchup from last Sunday, talking about the college football playoffs, going over some hot and not NHL teams right now, and finishing up with the World Cup situation. Let's get into it. So starting it off with my Cincinnati Bengals coming off a great win versus the Kansas City Chiefs this past Sunday. 425 was on for most of the country. Tony Romo, Jim Nance, Tracy Wilson, great game. It was over 66,000 people in attendance at Paycor Stadium. So probably sold out. Luca, let's go with the narrative. Let's start off because we have a lot to touch on with this game. The Burrow-Mahomes, what, what does this matchup look like over the past three games? Every single game that they've played ever since their first matchup last year, the rivalry has built, and it is building each and every time they play each other because we've seen games come down to that final play. We know it's going to be a shootout. We know it's going to be a very good game between two very solid quarterbacks, and it's going to be which defense wins you that game. And if you look at last week, it was the Bengals' defense on that forced fumble against Travis Kelsey and a guy who doesn't fumble often, Jermaine Pratt coming up with a huge play. But yeah, as you said, this rivalry is just building and building and building. And we are going to see these two quarterbacks battle it out against each other many, many more times to come. So like you said, so rivalry, I'm watching a lot of, you know, Twitter spaces and on YouTube. People are saying it's not really a rivalry until you beat the other person. And that's true kind of for Mahomes and the Chiefs. Mahomes is 0-3 versus Burrow in his career. All three losses actually coming in this year, week 17 of last year, which was January 2nd, I think, the AFC Championship, and now this past Sunday. So the stats from these three games, starting off with passing yards, Burrow at 327, Mahomes at 252. Completion percentage, 72.7 for Burrow, 67.3 for Mahomes. Touchdown and interception ratio, 8-1 to for Burrow, 6-2 to for Mahomes. And then finishing off with the passer rating, which... Both numbers are pretty good. 121 for Burrow, 101 for Mahomes, which are both great numbers. But when you look at the difference, it just shows that Burrow's played better in these three games. And people are wondering what it is with the Chiefs and the Bengals. Is it the Chiefs like a mental block? or Because what I want to touch on is the Bengals, when they played the Chiefs twice last year, they started off down. Week 17, 14-0, and then going to halftime in the championship, 21-3. So... It might be a mental block, but this game, it, the Bengals kind of controlled it. And I think it really showed how much Tyreek Hill brought to the Chiefs team in this past week. I mean, you saw Travis Kelsey, especially in that first half, was very, very quiet and was held, I mean, the night 56 yards, which has to be one of the quietest nights, especially in the relative past of his career. But they didn't have that playmaker that Tyreek Hill is in the middle of the field, down the field. I mean, Valdez Scantling had a couple of big catches for big yardage, but they did not have that guy to have Mahomes when Mahomes needs him the most. And I definitely wrote this down. It's uh, listening to Sim Hude on Twitter, and he's completely right. Last year, it was Tyreek Kill and Travis Kelsey as your one and, one and two in a way. Now it's Travis Kelsey to Juju or MVS, which Juju and MVS aren't bad, but there's you lose all the explosiveness, and that's what the Chiefs' offense kind of really is. Because what the Bengals did this game, which we'll get into, 
is they dropped eight people. They only sent pressure with three guys most of the time. And that kind of got to Mahomes as you look on their last offensive play on the third and three. It was a manageable play. Mahomes looking to run it up the middle. And Joseph Osai comes back from Mahomes after trailing him and just trips him up. And that was only three guys sent. So definitely, I think Lou Anarumo in this Bengals defense has the Chiefs number, definitely. And that's something we saw in that AFC Championship game as well is the Bengals just did not send as much pressure to Mahomes and you drop eight people in coverage they're covering the field well obviously because Mahomes you're seeing him trying to extend the play as much as he can but there's nothing there Mahomes he's still human he like there's a certain limit and as you said the Bengals really do have the Chiefs number and you can't wait you hope that these two teams go battle it out in the playoffs at some point and definitely something that the Chiefs probably have circled because I was listening to something I think it was Stephen A. Smith talking about if the Chiefs were to rather play the Bengals or the Bills in the playoff people are saying the Bills because the Bengals have given the Chiefs problems and we're going to be a great game later and I think week 17 Bengals Bills Monday Night Football that's probably going to be one of the best games left of the year overall so definitely something to look out there but then let's get into kind of the Chiefs some of the Chiefs numbers Mahomes this game 16 for 27 223 yards 8.3 8.3 yards per attempt, one touchdown, one well, one passing touchdown. He had one rushing touchdown, which is a MJ athletic play, which was controversial. And another thing is the Chiefs came in this game looking, and I think they wanted to run the ball more, and they did. They did so pretty successfully to an extent. Jared McKinnon, eight rushes for 51 yards, saw some nine catches and a touchdown. Isaiah Pacheco, 14 for 66 and a touchdown. So, they had some, like, eight, nine-yard runs, but some of the time they were just getting stood up behind the line on one of the goal line plays. I think it was Pacheco that ran into his own man. So some plays like that. But overall from the Chiefs, they didn't play a terrible game, but their defense, we can get into it now. Like, what did you see from their defense that just didn't really give the team the best chance to win? It has to be the pressure. They had one sack the entire night, and it came— And it was when— Burrow kind of gave himself up to keep the clock running. Yeah, and when you don't get pressure to the quarterback, and that's something the Chiefs haven't been able to do for a number of seasons now. Their offense has absolutely torn teams up, but then their defense is really their Achilles heel, and they drafted George Karloftis out of Purdue this year trying to get that pass rush, but the Bengals' offensive line did a very solid job keeping that pocket clean, allowing Burrow to get the time he needs, and when you do that, Burrow's going to dot you up. He's a good quarterback. He's a very poised pocket passer. He has good receivers. You just have to get pressure, and that's where I think the start of the breakdown start was for the Chiefs. And talk about the clean pocket he had. A lot for the Bengals this year so far. Some games they've only allowed one or two sacks, but the pocket's been kind of, you know, iffy where Burrow kind of escaped and used his legs, which he did this game as he didn't get into that, but Burroughs had clean pockets, and he had some you know, rough pockets definitely early this season. The O-line was not together. Now they pr- pretty much are. But Burrow, I mean, some of those, like the Jamar Chase, like 40-yard play, there was no one within two or three yards of Burrow. And he's just, as a Bengals fan, it's obviously great to see. And then you get Joe Mixon back in this O-line. With, it's very exciting things. But let's move on to the kind of Bengals side of the ball offensively. Burrow had an amazing day today earning AFC Offensive Player of the Week going to his numbers 25 for 31 which is 80 80.6% com- completion percentage just not an excuse but one of those passes that quote unquote incomplete was the wide open 
Tyler Boyd touchdown, which we'll get into. 9.2 yards per attempt, 286 yards, two touchdowns, and one rushing touchdown. So definitely a great a great night for him. And Jamar Chase is back. Seven catches, 97 yards. Didn't have a big boom play, but his presence was there, and he is unstoppable. And he's just another piece to this offense. You have Jamar Chase, and when he was out, you had T. Higgins, and T. Higgins stepped up to the challenge and did very, very nice when Jamar was out. But when Jamar is in, you really have to double him almost every time. And then you have T. Higgins, who they can line up on the other side of the field, who really needs to be doubled every time, mossing players. Then you have Tyler Boyd, who, as you said, had that unusual drop wide open, but he's a guy who just runs the middle of the field, and he's one of the best, if not the best, slot receivers in this league. And then you have Hayden Hurst. The list goes on and on and on. The weapons that this Bengals offense have, it's really like almost a better Chiefs because they have the offense that the Chiefs have, and we've seen it three times now. They can keep up with the Chiefs, but they have a better defense than the Chiefs, and that's where you kind of draw the line is, you can put the Bengals over the Chiefs to a certain extent because their defense can win them a game if their offense isn't clicking. And that's the thing about the Bengals' offense. They can win anyway. You look at the Titans when that wasn't a game that Burrow needed to throw for 50 times to win. You look at, you know, maybe a game with the Bills, he might need to throw more. But, you know, they, they ran the ball well, and that's what I like about the Bengals so much. They can play to what they need to. They don't... You know, Burrow doesn't need to go out every game and throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns like he's done this year. So, definitely great for them. Samaje Pirine, 155 total yards this week. I think he had hundred and he had 106 rushing on 21 rushes and six catches for 49 yards. And it's, it's only opened the door up for more opportunities for him when Joe Mixon comes back because now you're looking, you see at what he's done. You're looking at probably one of the top 10 running back duos in the league because... You know, Joe Mixon is Joe Mixon. Since he entered the league, he's top five in all-purpose yards for running backs. So, definitely a, a machine there. But just the Bengals' offense has been clicking recently, and that's what you want going into the playoffs. Going into the defensive side, Luca, this is the biggest test they've had since the loss of Cheetah Bayouzier. who came against the Browns on Monday Night Football, which they're playing again this week. So, what did you see from this Bengals' secondary? They did what they needed to do. I mean, Valdez Scantling again... Had a couple of big yardage plays down the field. They held Kelsey, which no team has been able to hold. They really forced the Chiefs to rely on running the ball well. Like You look at this game and you say, if the Chiefs didn't run the ball as well as they did this game, they would have lost by probably two possessions or more. Definitely true, but I was also listening on Twitter again. I've been a big Twitter guy recently that... Bengals didn't make those defensive plays, given, for example, that Cam Taylor bred on Juju for, fourth down play when he had him, but Juju kind of stretched out and got the first down deservedly. Or when Mahomes kind of threw that ball off to Cam Taylor Britt and it hit off Mike Hilton. At the time, the score was 14-3 to for both those plays. If the Bengals make that defensive stop slash turnover, I mean, the game could get ugly. So Definitely a great game from the Bengals' defense. Secondaries look pretty solid. You're going against Mahomes, so he's going to find some players sometimes. But the rush defense looked pretty good. You have the pass rush. Look, Mahomes didn't look completely comfortable, which is definitely great to see because, you know, when you play mobile quarterbacks like that, you can't just let him sit back there because he's going to find somebody eventually. So definitely something for the Bengals to be happy about. And one last thing for this Bengals' defense, Eli Apple, I'll, as much hate— as he gets, PFF, zero catches against, zero yards. So 
Look at that there. The absence of Tyreek Hill. I just, I, I feel like just watching this game as a whole, it's just you need Tyreek Hill for the Chiefs. I mean, you're seeing what he's doing with the Dolphins. He's tearing the league up, leading with receiving yards. I think Justin Jefferson's close behind, maybe even ahead of him at this point. But Tyreek Hill really was the guy that Mahomes really liked to go to. And whenever they drew up a trick play, it often included Tyreek Hill down the field. And so you miss that speed, you miss the opening up, and they just really got exposed. And it's not like the Chiefs are a bad offense without Tyreek Hill. They're still probably to some degree kind of the same because they still find a way. But if you need that, you know, big play, they don't have that speedster, which is they might miss later on, and that could become evident. Moving on to another sport in hockey, let's talk about some surprising NHL teams and some teams that are kind of a disappointment this year. I mean, let's start it off with probably the obvious, the Bruins. I mean, Boston, they're always known as a great sports city, but talk about now the Celtics are the best team in the Eastern Conference NBA, but the Bruins, they are absolutely tearing this NHL apart in every way. They've only lost three times in regulation, one time in overtime, 20-plus wins. They are a team that finished with 51 wins last season, got the second wild card spot, they have the return of David Krejci back to their roster this year after going overseas and playing in Europe. Pasternak is absolutely wrecking the league, 35 points, 24 games. Marshan's playing well. Patrice Bergeron's playing well. And they found themselves a very, very good goaltender. In Olmark, his numbers, 9.36 save percentage, which is incredible. Like, I believe a 9.22 is the line for like, great and good. His 14 wins, only one loss. This Bruins team, you look at the Tampa Bay Lightning team, I don't remember how many years ago, only a few, where they put up historic numbers during the regular season and they make the playoffs get swept by the Blue Jackets in the opening round. The Bruins just have to find a way in the playoffs. They haven't been able to, as of recent, the farthest they've gone is Stanley Cup 2019 in which they lost to the Blues. But as of right now, they are really looking like maybe a Stanley Cup champion favorite. Definitely, and something as a Cavs fan, I don't really like the Bruins. Don't want to see them succeed, but definitely got to give respect when it's due. And another team has been the New Jersey Devils. They are currently twenty-one four and one, sit first in the Eastern Conference, or twenty-seven forty-six and nine last season. So a big turnaround for them. They've almost won as many games as they did last year, not even halfway through the season yet, and they haven't had a winning season since the twenty seventeen eighteen season when they were forty-four twenty-nine and nine. And there was a second wildcard spot in the East. So top line has been sens- sensational with Jack Hughes, Jasper Bratt, Nico Hershier. Defenseman Dougie Hamilton has been really solid with 19 points and a plus minus of 15. Luca, what do you like from this team? And what do you think has been the big kind of jump from last season? Again, I think it's been goaltending. And again, as a Caps fan, you are, you are not happy. I mean, Vitek Vanacek last year was, they ran a committee, but... I mean, you can probably agree, you liked VTech probably more in goal for the Capitals. They trade him to New Jersey this year, and man, has he found himself a place to play hockey. Vanacek, 12-2-1 this season, 9-2-2 save percentage, two shutouts. But when you're offensive, this is the Devils for the past years. Again, they haven't, as you said, they haven't had that winning season since 2017-18. They've had those high draft picks. Jack Hughes, Gohisher also young player, Jesper Bratt, young player. 
And that's what's so scary about this Devils team is they are a young team. And they are tearing the league up. And it's out of nowhere. So they haven't had playoff experience, again, in the recent history. So once playoffs come around, that's a whole new story. But right now, they're packing that house out in Newark, New Jersey. And they are loving their hockey up in New Jersey. Definitely. And it's just, it's kind of, you know, the Caps have just, the Caps fan, it's kind of sad because, you know, the Caps were, they didn't always make it far in the playoffs, but they were, you know, top of top of the East and up there for a lot of years. And now, you know, old age is a big thing with the Caps and injuries. So kind of disheartening. But another surprising team has been the Colorado Avalanche, but not in a positive way this time. They're still in a playoff spot, but they're not living up to the Stanley Cup champions, kind of a championship hangover, you could call it. And expectations with Dallas, Winnipeg, and Minnesota ahead of them in the Central Division, McKinnon, McCarr, and Rantanen are still producing pretty well, but the goaltending isn't a massive issue. It's their third or fourth line guys are not producing what they were in the playoff run, and they're, not, they're also missing Gabriel Landerskog, and who has been recovering from a knee injury, so... You also look at they lost Darcy Kemper, who was amazing for them in the playoffs. Couldn't say the same about him right now in the Caps. When we went to the game, he let in two goals that looked like he had the awareness of a turtle. So definitely surprising there is they just got off the win from the Stanley Cup and not doing the best now. And it really is. You look at it. Their first-line guys are really, like, still. They're going at it at all cylinders. They're scoring points each night, but... You look at Logan O'Connor, Andrew Cogliano, those guys on the lower lines who could get you those chippy goals when you needed it, just haven't been there. They're not producing at the same rate, and you have four lines in hockey. You're not going to win as much as you would if all four lines are producing when you're only your top two lines are producing. But it is definitely Gabriel Landeskog, who had knee surgery, should be back relatively soon. I be- believe at the beginning of the season he was ruled out 12 weeks, and we're number of weeks into the NHL season now. But getting him back will be huge. A leader in the locker room as well is Gabriel Landeskog. Definitely, and hopefully some of those teams can turn it around. So let's move over to the kind of the, you look at the big thing in sports right now, the World Cup. Some fun games to watch yesterday, one of them going into PK, Morocco getting the win, and Portugal coming up a 6-1 win with your star, Cristiano Ronaldo, are not even playing. So let's get into it. We are in the quarterfinals. Start on Friday at 10 with Croatia and Brazil. So the remaining teams are Croatia, Brazil, the Netherlands, who beat the USA pretty well, Argentina, Morocco, Portugal, England, and France. I mean, you look at these teams and you're like, yeah, we expect all of them except for Morocco. And Morocco is upset teams all World Cup so far. Tied 0-0 with Croatia as their first game. Then they beat Belgium 2-0. Belgium was ranked number two in the FIFA World Rankings coming into this tournament. Didn't even make it out the group stage. Age really showed. This Morocco team, they beat Canada 2-1. And Canada is a team you should probably beat a lot more if you're Morocco. Then they go and they place against Spain. And they gave Spain a run for their money. Could have won in regulation. So could have Spain. And you push it to penalties. Spain did not score a single penalty in that penalty shootout. Over three, the goalie Yassin Bonu saved all of them. That was such a fun one to watch. I was in class, in English class, and some of the kids in my class are World Cup fans, and they were all, they were all cheering. It was similar to the game the day before. I mean, Japan, as I want to talk about, is they went 
head-to-head with Croatia, the team that was in the World Cup final the last time around. They pushed it to penalties, but just they could not convert on a penalty. Croatia's goalkeeper was stellar when it came to the penalty shootout. So, Japan's World Cup ended early. Spain's World Cup ended early. A lot of people had them going far, including myself. But that's what you want to see in a World Cup, is you want to see teams succeed that you don't expect to in Morocco. I mean, coming into this World Cup, I expected them to be a team to watch out for, a team that could surprise people, but not to the extent in which they have done here. Definitely, and for all bracket kind of sports, March Madness, World Cup, you you know, championships of different other sports, it's fun to see because teams come out of nowhere and they can make it far. Look at St. Peter's and March Madness, so talked about going forward with Mbappe in France who controlled a game winning 3-1 against a good Poland team with what, what did you think about that game France they are looking like another World Cup winner they won it last time around against Croatia and they dominated in that World Cup final and Mbappe was only a teenager first teenager to score in like a World Cup final Mbappe is tearing up five goals in what is now four games wow he's so young and they're also missing a number of important midfield players, N'Golo Kante not with them, Paul Pogba not with them, but they have found guys to keep that link between the defense and the attack, and they have really, really done well. But the story about the World Cup here in the U.S. was the U.S., and they looked pretty good through the group stage, not giving up a single goal, tying with England, which was already felt like a massive win for everyone here in the U.S., Then they go to the knockout rounds and they play a very experienced, very good Netherlands team, and it showed. Definitely. I was actually taking the SAT during this time, so I wasn't able to watch any of it. Our proctor actually told us in the middle of the test the score, and it was kind of disheartening because knowing how happy USA was making it to that round. So definitely Netherlands, very experienced. U.S., you know, a pretty good young young team, fast team. So, you know, Christian Pulisic is, you know, the American hero, as they call him. He's amazing. Definitely could see more from him in his future. So what do you think, who do you think is going to win it? And I'll go, I'm going to start first. In the wise words of Mr. Speed, I got Portugal. Portugal, I don't think they're going to win it. Yes, they just won 6-1 against Switzerland. Switzerland had more possession that game, had the opportunities, but Portugal is a team that just seems to, minus the 2016 Euros, fall apart. They always seem to fall apart at one point, and you have teams like Brazil, who just got Neymar back. Very, very talented team all around their benches, one of the deepest benches in this World Cup, if not the deepest, but I I think Brazil is the team to watch. Always watch out for Argentina. Messi's really showing why he is arguably the best player in the world. But I, I, I think it's going to be Brazil who takes it home against France. All right, let's move into our last portion here, the college football playoffs. The rankings came out Sunday around twelve fifteen. I was at work with my friend. We were watching on my phone. He was very happy that Ohio State even got in. Well, I wanted them to play Michigan. I thought that it would be a good game. For television-wise, I think they would get a lot of viewers. You'd have a guaranteed Big Ten team in the finals, but that could still happen. The Georgia's favored 6.5 versus Ohio State, and Michigan's favored 7.5 versus TCU. And 
Ohio State's kind of even lucky to be in this thing after getting the, the doors blown off of them in the second half by Michigan. Thankful to Utah, and we kind of have to look at it as thankful to Kansas State as well for beating TCU because if TCU didn't lose, it, you know, Ohio State and USC kind of a toss-up. So definitely a big thing there for Ohio State. One big news for Ohio State, Jackson Smith and the Jigba did declare for the NFL draft, and he's medically not cleared to play, so... We have we're not going to see him again, but Marvin Harrison, Marvin Harrison Jr. is just amazing. He he is. I mean, they call them wide receiver university for a reason. They produce consistently top wide receivers. You've seen what Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are able to do their last draft class. But Marvin Harrison is a phenomenal player. You just see the athletic plays he's able to make, the catches he's able to make. It's it's really mind blowing. Definitely, and going into this, I mean. You didn't really, to the rankings part of it, you knew that Georgia and Michigan were going to be number one and two. Do you agree or disagree with the TCU at three and Ohio State at four? I do agree with it. The only other team that really could have made it is maybe Alabama. You could have tossed USC in there, but watching them play, I didn't I didn't really like what I saw from them against Utah. But Ohio State, yes, they lost to Michigan, and they lost bad to Michigan, but they're a very good team throughout the rest of the season other than that Northwestern game which was a wacky one they really dominated opponents they deserve to be in the college football playoffs TCU the same being it's they're a team that lost once throughout the season and it was in their title game for their conference it was a close game they battled hard they could have won that game they're on the one yard line they could have scored they had opportunities they're a good they're a good football program this year I like this. I agree with the four teams that got in, and I think it shapes up to for a very, very good college football playoffs, especially the Georgia-OSU game. Yes, Georgia's number one. They've stomped teams. They are number one. They have not lost. But this Ohio State team is a team that looks to upset teams like this. They are looking to be an underdog in a game, and they are looking to knock number one Georgia off. And like you— they back a couple years ago when they lost to Clemson, and then the next year they played them again with underdogs again, and look what happened. They, I forgot the score. I think they won by at least, I think, around 20. So, you know, definitely don't count Ohio State out. See, I think it was Robert Harrison tweeted out when USC lost, he tweeted out, let's ball. So and uh, definitely Ohio State's really excited for this. Michigan, I mean, their running backs have been banged up, and they're still kind of getting it done. Look at saw what they did versus Ohio State in the run game. Completely blew the doors up, and, and J.J. McCarthy looked pretty good for Ohio State. He did, and he's going to have to continue to look good. This Again, TCU is their team that a lot of people are like, oh, they've won weak games, blah, blah, blah. They won every single game except for one, and that's hard to do. And they lost to a top 10 ranked team, Kansas State. They, they're a good football program this year, and you're going to see a, a hard fight. I would not be surprised Michigan wins by one or two possessions, but you're not going to see TCU just go down like Alabama beat Cincinnati last year. Definitely. And you look at, like, Georgia. I mean, last year they were a big defensive team, but this year the offense is very, very good, too. You know, Denson Bennett has been a Heisman finalist. He's, he looks great. Michigan, J.J. McCarthy looks All these quarterbacks look pretty solid. I think, you know, I don't know if J.J. McCarthy's declaring. I think he's going to stay for another year. C.J. Stroud is going to probably be a top 10 pick in the draft. You know, him and Bryce Young, that's been a debate. But it's all these quarterbacks, you know, 
pretty, pretty good, pretty poised. So it should be a great, great games to watch. I think they come on New Year's Eve. I know the Ohio State is New Year's Eve. I don't know about I don't know when the other game is. But definitely we'll be tuning in. Should be a great game to watch. And then moving on to our matchup in games of the week. For my matchup of the week, I have Stefan Diggs versus Sauce Gardner part two. Diggs had 10 targets, 5 catches, and 93 yards the first time around when the Jets actually won 20-17. to Week 9, I think that was. So, I mean, Sauce probably only gotten better since then, so we'll see how that one turns out. And then my game of the week, not too many good games this week between, you know, high playoff caliber teams. But Dolphins, Chargers, Sunday Night Football, how will Miami bounce back after that? pretty bad loss to the Brock Purdy led 49ers and Tua not playing that well so should be a good game there Mike Williams may be back only make the Chargers better so you know Chargers knocking on the door of the playoffs of the wild card race so see how that one turns out the sauce versus Diggs definitely matchup everybody's going to be looking at my matchup of the week staying in the football realm is Saquon Barkley versus the Eagles defense who has been stellar this season the Eagles and Saquon quieter game in the tie I know yes tie against the commanders yes he had 63 yards yes he had a touchdown but he's a guy who's looking to get 100 plus yards and a touchdown every single week so he's going to be looking to bounce back in a division game against the Eagles and my game of the week I'm gonna have to go with NBA finals matchup rematch the Celtics and the Warriors play on Saturday Warriors, not as up to par as they were last season when they reached the finals. The Celtics are absolutely tearing it up, but Curry and his Warriors will go to battle against Tatum and his Celtics, two MVP candidates. We'll see how that one plays out. Definitely a kind of a down year for the Warriors. Jordan Poole, you know, that second point guard option, not really playing at the level he was in the playoffs and towards the end of last season. So, hope to see more out of that Warriors team. You know, they could make a play-in push. I think they might be in the play-in right now, but you never count out Curry and Clay, the generational talents. So with that, it'll be Zach Green. Luca DeLosta, thank you for listening.